why victorious living? What is victorious living? And, 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 and let me just talk about a touch base. Last week, I've been laying a foundation, and today will also be a foundational part for where we want to go to, because what is victorious living? You know, so one, uh, one thing that we should know is that to, to live in victory means that we have victory over all the curses, all of the curses, right? And so what do you mean curses? Well, in Galatians 3.13, it's got this very powerful word, this verse that says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And that word redeemed is literally powerful if we study it out, and it's, it's to be purchased out of prison, basically. It's to be redeemed, to be bought back. You have been purchased. You have been bought back. There is no need for you to experience any of the curses in Christ. We have been redeemed from all the curses, and, and, and I, I, I picked out a few of them, but in Deuteronomy 28, that whole chapter, it's a 68 verses long, and in that, the first 14 verses talk about the blessings of God, and then from verse 15 to 68, a whole bunch of them talks about the curses. And man, they are pretty scary. If, you, if you've read the Old Testament and you read Deuteronomy 28, you think, oh my gosh, because I mean, just verse 22 says, wasting disease with fever, inflammation, fiery heat, drought, with blight, and with mildew. And then verse 27 says this, tumors, scabs, and itch from which you cannot be healed, madness, so mental, mental issues, blindness, confusion of mind. All of these things are part of the curse. And there is a lot of them. There's a lot of things practically that we have been redeemed from. We do not have to live in the curse. Because Christ has redeemed us from the curse, right? And then he's what? What's he redeemed? He's drink these things, both physical, mental, emotional, death and its progressive effects. What do I mean by that? Things like sickness, depression, discouragement, rage, bitterness, fear, worry, poverty, loneliness. All of those things are part of the curse, right? So what are we redeemed unto? 2 Corinthians 1.20 says this, For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why through Him we utter the amen to God for His glory. Every promise in Christ. If you're a believer, you are in Christ. We have become one with Him. We are one spirit with Jesus. Now that is powerful just to chew and meditate on. And if you're in a life group, you can camp on that one for a while. Just to realize that me... And the Spirit of Christ are one. Doesn't that sound kind of blaspheming? What? I have become one Spirit with... Yep, that was Jesus prayed for. Again, that's not my topic today. But it is a truth. We have become one with Jesus. And every promise that God made is, finds their yes and amen in Him. And that's what we can have, right? So living in victory is to, appro to appropriate all these benefits and all these blessings. Every one of the blessings are ours, but how do we lay hold of these? Because we have this thing, and we, we're not going to go too deep into this but we, today, um, but we, 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 we have this idea that if Jesus did it, then I just don't have to do anything. It's all automatic, but that's absolutely not true. We do co-labor with Christ. He has done a part. He's earned a part, and that's called grace. Freely He has given us these things, and we're going to touch on this in this series. But there is a part that we have to play. And if you choose to play it, you can walk out of these curses. 
you can reject these curses and you can walk into the blessings very simply. Amen. So let's do that, right? Because we want to, we want to, we want to fulfill the vision that God has for you and we want to fulfill the vision God has for this church. What is our, what is our vision? Well, you know that Matthew 28, Jesus gave us the commission, right? Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. That is the great commission. That is the commission of every believer, is to be part of the great commission. Jesus didn't say, I therefore go therefore and go to church for one hour every week. Two hours every week. No, no, he said, go and make disciples of the world, right? Of the nations. So uh, then he says this in, in John 4, 35. Do not say there are yet four months and then the harvest. In other words, don't look to the future for the harvest. He says, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes that the fields are white for harvest. The harvest is right here. It's right now. It's not one day, oh man, I'm just waiting for that awakening. I'm just waiting till God gets off the throne and does something so that we're praying to God to get off the throne and do something here. He has done stuff. The harvest is right now. Lift up your eyes, Jesus said. The fields are white. I know it gets quiet somehow when I talk like that. Sorry. Sorry. But Jesus said this. You know, we, we know that Jesus promised us eternal life. But, you know, again, we look to the future. Our traditions say when the sweet by and by, you will get to eternal, experience eternal life once you die. Right? But it is John 17 verse 3 says this. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus defines eternal life as knowing you, Jesus is praying, this is Jesus' prayer, that they may know you, Father, and they may know you. He speaks about himself in the third person, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That is experiencing life without end. And so we've got the, the, our, our mission statement over there, you know, reaching people with God's unconditional love, is um, establishing believers in Christ and connecting them to his cause. And, and, and we unpack those in different messages or, or often, but our overarching, our overarching uh, uh, statement is, is this. We say that we exist, that all people everywhere would intimately know God in accordance with John 17, 3 that I just said. Intimately know God, intimately, and experience His unconditional love. I believe that that is so powerful because when you know God and you are intimately, intimately uh, experiencing Him, the rest is going to come. It is not just a religious activity that we are doing. It's intimately knowing Him. This you know. So I want to tell you that Lake Haven is primarily here as a church not to get people saved. <laughs> I'm hoping I'm making you think a little bit. Hold, hold on before you rush for the door. Yeah, we're not here to get, you, get people saved. Lake Haven is a New Testament church. What does that mean? It's here to equip you. It's here to equip you, his people, to, to, to lead people to salvation, to take his healing out of these four walls, to teach and train and help and encourage, to be his ambassadors, to be his salt and light. That's what a church is. That's what a New Testament church is. 
Now, praise God, we have unbelievers come to church, and praise God, if they get saved here, they are welcome. Anybody is welcome through these doors. But the primary, this is an outreach center. This is a church is a place for believers to encourage one another and to be equipped to do the work of the ministry. The work of the ministry is out there. If you're not being equipped to do the work of the ministry and you're just thinking that it's supposed to happen in these four walls, no, that's not what we've been called unto. We're just supposed to take it to the nations. That doesn't mean that you have to become a missionary. That doesn't mean that maybe you are, and then we encourage you. We've got a mission team right now in Costa Rica, and I'm hearing some really good things. Um, but but we, you have to be equipped and willing to understand when people ask you that you have such a, 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 a victorious life that they come to you and they say, why do you have hope? But a lot of believers don't even have hope. A lot of believers are living in the curse. A lot of the, the believers are, are taking antidepressants. There's something wrong with that, people. Now, listen, I'm not, going to, I'm not shaming you if you're on antidepressants, okay? Be, hear me very clearly. That is, that, is not the, that is not the place. But there is something wrong with us if our message is, is not equipping you to live in victory. You should, again, be Jesus said, you shall be salt and light. We should be such an example of victory. Jesus says that he is that, that part of the blessing that is he teaches us to profit. You know, the Holy Spirit teaches you to profit. He teaches you to make money. You do not have to live in poverty. That's also part of the victory that we're supposed to live in. Why are you so blessed? People should ask you, why are you so blessed? It seems like everything you lay your hands on or touch your hands to turns to gold. Well, there are reasons. And there are scriptural reasons we can appropriate this. But as I said, we have to co-labor. We have to co-labor with the Holy Spirit. It's not automatic. If you stick your fingers in your pockets or your hands in your pockets and say, okay, well, I'm just going to keep confessing. I'm just going to keep confessing and confessing. Now, I'm, a, I'm all for prosperity. I'm all for confession. As you know, we've spoken about faith. But if you don't do it, if you don't apply the Word of God and you just stick your hands in your pockets and say, I'm not going to actually do what God says. I'm just going to pray to God and wait for Him to bless me. You will sit there for your whole life waiting for Him to bless you. Because he has already blessed you. James has a lot to say about this. Anyhow, I know a lot of people want to just take a magic marker. It has to be pretty magic to take the word of God out of it. So. But anyhow, but yes, in 1 Peter 3 it says, But in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope within you. So, so last week, as I said, now you you hearing me, if, if today is your first uh, time, if you didn't hear last week's message, I spoke a lot last week on my first very fundamental foundation is on the love of God. I spoke about this, it's, 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 and, and it's really important. To, if you haven't listened to that message, go back and listen to that message. Watch it on YouTube, watch it on our website, download the MP3, listen to it while you're cycling your exercise bike or taking a walk or whatever. But, but Christians, and I am generally speaking, aren't very good at loving one another. I'm speaking generally, not about our church here. All of you all are wonderful, okay? Okay. But, 
but, but we, you, we, are, we, we are often at odds with just loving one another. Never mind our enemies. Jesus said that we should love our enemies. I, I tell you what, it's like that verse isn't even in the Bible for most Christians. Jesus said that, that he loves his enemies. Do you know that God loves his enemies? I know that's not often taught. <laughs> because everybody thinks that God's got a big rod of judgment and that he is going to judge his enemies. Listen, there is going to be a judgment day. There is going to be a great white throne judgment. There is going to be a judgment seat of Christ. All of those things are going to come. But right now, Jesus has paid the penalty for all our, our sins. We've spoken about this a few weeks ago in the breaking of bread and communion. That is the power of the good news, that he has taken the punishment that brought us peace. The punishment of the world. There is a good news. Jesus has taken the punishment. God is not there ready to punish people's sins. We're the ones saying, God's going to get you, you evil sucker, you know, whatever the case is. And we, we, oh man, I just can't wait till God gets hold of them. Mm -mm 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 -mm. It's like, but yet we've got this verse that says that God loves his enemies. What are you, how does that fit into your current traditional theology, right? So, so love, and I, and I laid this foundation last week. God's love is, his, is the core of his nature. 1 John 4, 1 Corinthians 13, God is love. You've got to understand it. He speaks a language of love. Ephesians chapter 3 says this, that, 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 that we've got to be rooted and grounded in the love of God, right? All of these things, uh, what, what we've got first out there, thank you. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Because you see, God's core motive is love. God, and, and so when we spoke last week and I took out a few stories out of the New Testament intentionally, not to teach on each of them deeply, but I spoke about the prodigal and I spoke about the woman caught in the act of adultery. And I spoke about the woman who, 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 uh, who, who washed his feet with her tears and wiped his feet with her hair. And, 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 and the power of God's gift of no condemnation. God is always, Jesus, who represented the exact image of God, is always got a gift of no condemnation freely offered to anybody who will take it. And we are his representatives. We are his hands and feet. We are supposed to offer the same, the same gift of no condemnation to the world. And you will see that it's just, it's in fact that gift of no condemnation that is the very power of grace. It is the very power that sets, that when Jesus said to that woman caught in the act of adultery, he says, woman, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. The power of the fact that Jesus did not condemn her gave her the ability to walk out of sin. But we often get trapped in sin. And we, are, we get trapped in sin because we haven't got an understanding of, our, of the fact that there's no condemnation to us, that God loves us with an, with an everlasting love. And, and, and so it is, it's important for us to lay hold of these for, for us to experience victory over sin. And we can, and we will, and we're going we're gonna to unpack this, and it's going to set you free. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. So we're going we're to be free to gift the gift of no condemnation. You're going to receive... You, if you will, you can receive that free gift of no condemnation. No condemnation. Here's a free gift, right? You ready to take that? Amen. Okay. 
So, listen, um, God is not keeping a record of wrongs. I think that too many people, or too many preachers perhaps, want to preach hell and judgment. They want to preach the fear of God. They say that if they, if, they, if, they, if they can just instill the fear of God into people, that people will stop sinning. Listen, fear, in the natural sense of the word, is not going to inspire you to stop sinning. Fear of judgment and condemnation will help you hide your sin. That's all it will do. It's good for behavior modification, but it does nothing to the heart. It is, it, is, it is the love. It's love, mercy, and compassion. It's the goodness and kindness of God that teaches us or that, that, that causes us to repent, to change our minds about God. You see, the goodness of kindness of God changes us from the inside out. We have, when we experience no condemnation, when we experience the love of God, when we experience forgiveness, when we, when we receive these free gifts, it changes us on the inside. That that's what gives us the power not to sin. From the inside, we're changed. Fear only threatens people on the outside. We, and we do have to talk about the fear of God. Actually, we have to give you a very biblical, because when we understand what the fear of God really is, man, it's a powerful force. But we have to define it. If you will, if you will hear what God has to say about the fear of God, it will bring freedom. You know, there's this thing called a paradox, and it's like the two sides of the same coin. You know, we, we've got the love of God, and then it talks about fear. And that verse, that um, first John that we just saw there, won't you bring it up again, Jen? Um, let's look at that. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfect in, in love. You see, love and fear don't exist in the same space. When you understand what God has done in his love, you're not going to fear him in the negative sense. Okay, so when, when let's bring up Deuteronomy 6.13. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him only shall you serve, and by his name you shall swear. Okay, so there we see this verse. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. That is an eternal word. That is true. We have been instructed to fear him. So what does that mean? That we should live in terror? No. This is how the Word of God Himself, the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ, actually quotes this verse, and He reads it in Matthew, you read it in Matthew 4, verse 10. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. Go back a step there. You shall worship the Lord. Jesus, the Word of God, interprets that word fear differently. You see, you and I, in our traditions, we hear the word fear, and we think that it's a very negative thing. We are supposed to be in terror of God and live in a fear. And Jesus himself quotes that verse, verse and says, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. So today's message, I want to carry on, spend the rest of this message talking about the fear of God, because as I said, last week we spoke about love extensively, and it's a, it has to be our understanding of the character, nature, motive, intention, language that God speaks, that you have to be persuaded of. Go back and listen, please, to last week's sermon 20 times as a start. 
you know, and just go through the Word of God and ask the Holy Spirit to show you and, and demonstrate just exactly how much you, He loves you because that's where we start. But then on the flip side of the paradox, we've got to understand what this is talking about. So here Jesus, as I said, says um, worship. He interprets that word fear as worship. Now, this is an old English understanding of the word. Fear is an old English word for revere and respect. I like the word venerate. Venerate, I think, is a great English word. It says to regard someone with deep respect or reverence, to regard, um, to, to treat as hallowed, which means holy, or to respect. It's to um, worship and adore, to profoundly and res- uh, to admire profoundly and respectfully. Venerate implies a holding as holy or sacrosanct because of character, association, or, or, or age. Revere stresses defer, deference and tenderness of feeling. For example, if somebody is revered, like a teacher or a professor or somebody or is revered by their students. So, so here is this word reverence, revere, to worship, to venerate. To, that, that is more of the understanding that we see that we ought to have as a New, under, a new Testament understanding of fear. And it is very necessary. There are such profound benefits to understanding the fear of God in, the, in this positive sense. Um, listen to this in, in Proverbs. Listen to these benefits. I'm going to uh, pull out some scriptures. Proverbs 14 verse 27. Um, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. A fountain of life. Okay, next one, 15 verse, I'm saying in the same book, 15 verse 16, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. So Proverbs is saying it's better than money. It's better than all the wealth in the world, just the fear of the Lord. Verse 19, 23, the fear of the Lord leads to life and whoever has it rests satisfied. Yep, that's a promise. Having the right fear of God, you will rest satisfied. Are you unsatisfied in life? Hmm. Isaiah verse, um, sorry, Isaiah chapter 11 verse 2. And the Spirit of God, talking about Jesus, right? This is a prophecy. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord and His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. Wow. That is talking about Jesus, the very Son of God. He says that the spirit of knowledge and that the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And it says that he will delight. Jesus himself delighted in the fear of the Lord. Hmm. And then you see how Jesus walked in faith. He will not judge by what his eyes see or, or, dis, or decide disputes by what his ears hear. So that's part of what Holy Spirit does in our lives. Listen to this in Acts 9.31. You, I, before we... I, I love this scripture, but... Well, let me read it first. Let's just go through this. Acts 9.31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking 
in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Do you see that in those two things, this is a talking in the New Testament. The New Testament church, they were walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and it multiplied. Do you want us as a body to multiply? Do we want to see the church established in America, in the world? Do we want to fulfill the Great Commission? Here it says that this is, this is them. This is how they, they multiplied. They were walking, which means they were living their life. The term walking is perambulating. They were walking in the fear of the Lord, in the fear of the Lord, and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Those things aren't mutually exclusive. This is not, again, talking about terror. This is talking about living in the fear of the Lord. So, uh, Proverbs, I'm going to go back to Proverbs 16, verse 6. Um, listen to this one. In, I'm going to read it in the, in the New King James Version first. In mercy and truth, atonement is provided for iniquity, which is powerful. The atonement of iniquity is by mercy and truth. And by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. There is so much in this verse. You see, the new covenant, the new testament, we've just gone through the broken bread and drinking of, the, of his cup on the new covenant and how the goodness of God, kindness of God leads to a changing of mind and, and it brings repentance in our hearts. In mercy and truth, atonement is provided. Iniquity, atonement uh, is provided for iniquity. And then listen to how powerful it says, and by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. If, are we living trapped in evil? Are we living surrounded by evil? Are we held in shackles by evil or sin? Guess what? The fear of, by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. Um, this, this is how it says in the ESV version. It says, by steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for, and by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. Super. Then in, in uh, Proverbs 8, verse 13, New King James the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance and the evil way, and the perverse mouth I hate. Wow. Now, in this one, Psalms 36 verse 1, an oracle within my heart concerning the transgression of the wicked. There is no fear of God in, their, in his eyes. You see, in the transgression of the wicked, they do not have a fear of God. Well, Shannon, I thought this was a grace church. You guys are all about love. We are. We are. We're, we're 100% wall-to-wall love of God. But understand, they're, they're, you, <laughs> I, I've noticed this problem with us in the body of Christ, and I've seen it for decades. But we love to interpret the Word of God in silos. We'll take out one scripture or one story, and then we can teach on this one story, and then we, we take out another story, and we teach on this story, and then we teach on this story. We don't, have, we don't know how to rightly divide the Word of God. And I've spoken about this when we studied covenants. And so what we've created is believers that are coming to church that really are very confused. But do you know that God and then understanding God and the character of God, God is 100% unchanging, unchangeable from beginning to end. He is consistent. If you don't understand him, guess what? It's because you don't understand him. It's not because God is confused or his word is confused. 
He is 100% logical. He is the logos. The Greek word, he, he is consistently the same. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change as the shifting of shadow. He, the, 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 God is the same. The covenants help us understand certain things. And I'm telling you, there are some interpretations. If you get into Bible study and you become a more mature Christian, you, you'll, you'll see how many, sometimes there's a lot of license in some of our English translations, and we have a lot of translations. A lot of the, a lot of the um, uh, uh, you know, the, um, what word is? Yes, thank you. A lot of the paraphrases, a lot of the paraphrases use a lot of license because they're tempting. And I love paraphrases. I love all of the scripture. I love all the Bibles going through them. But I'm telling you, when, when you start getting into the Greek, a lot of those things make sense if you see an apparent contradiction. You don't throw out the Bible like, look, look people who are looking for an excuse will find an excuse. If you don't want to believe in God, you will find a reason not to believe in God. That is not who we're talking to. If you don't want to believe in God and call him a bunch of junk and just go and do your thing, then go ahead and do that. But I can tell you, God is always the same. He is never, ever going to be anything but faithful and true. In fact, that is what is tattooed on his thigh, it says in Revelation. Faithful and true. He who is faithful and true. He is not changing. He is not changing like the shifting of shadows. There is only one definition of truth, and guess what? You are not it. Your opinion is not it. If you think your opinion is it, then build a little altar to yourself, somebody, and go and worship yourself. Go and worship yourself because you're deciding what truth is. You either choose to believe the Word of God or you don't. And this is what the fear of God is. The fear of God, I like what Greg Moore, when he teaches it, and he says this, to fear God is to fear no one else. It's not to fear anything else. When you fear, when you fear God, you respect and honor His Word, and you revere His Word above anything else. Well, I don't know. Sister Susie said this, or Auntie so-and-so said that, or, well, I did this. And you, you judge God because of what you think He should have done. God is not subject to your interpretation, people. We are the ones that revere and bow our knees to His Word. That is what fearing God is. And when we fear God, all these benefits that I've just gone through, all of those scriptures, you will depart from evil. You will be blessed. The church will multiply. All of those things because we choose to put God first. We choose to say, God, I don't understand it. Guess what? There's always going to be things you don't understand. Always. Till we see Jesus in heaven one day, there's going to be things like, I don't quite understand this. And guess what? We grow. We grow. We grow. Some things that I've, there's some things that I remember being perplexed about and as, a, as a young Christian that I was reading and I was like, I don't understand this. And now I can look back 30 years, 40 years later, whatever the case is, and I can say, oh, wow. Okay, I get a glimpse now, and it makes sense. How many of you experienced something like that, you know? It's like, oh. But you see, if I had made a judgment on God based on my understanding, listen, people, you have a three-and-a-half-pound brain. That's it. And it is very, very smart, but it is not smarter than him. 
He created heavens and the earth. He is the one. He is, he is the ultimate definition of truth. Not me. You better check out these scriptures. Not any pastor. Oh, Lord Jesus. If you go to some of the stuff I hear on TV, I'm, I'm, I'm horrified by some of what some denominations teach. Because it does not line up with the Word of God. And I've said this time and time and time and time and time again. You need to learn how to rightly divide the Word of God, and I've given you the tools. You've stuck in here. If you don't listen, if you don't, you should know what the tools are. What is number one? The names of God. The names of God are absolute definition of His character. Every name, every covenant name of God, He will never. You can't interpret the Word of God without understanding His names. Or measuring him up against his names. Jesus. Jesus, the perfect, the life of Jesus. He is the exact, precise example of what him. If it doesn't line up with exactly how Jesus said it, how Jesus lived, how Jesus acted in his life, you don't understand it properly and neither does the Bible interpreter who decided to change it out of Aramaic. You, man, I've made people mad with this one before. I'm not trying to make you mad. I promise you. But the Word of God does not mean the New King James or the ESV or whatever, NIV or whatever. That is not, the paper on the print is not the Word of God. The Word of God is those, what that pa those pages reveal. Those pages that have been taken from Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic and all of those things point a picture of this one consistent being. And we've been given His Word, which is the logos, the intention, the, 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 log the, 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 the logic, uh, the character of God. And if you have any interpretation that doesn't line up, you're not rightly dividing the Word of God. That's why you need a body. That's why we need one another. That's why we need life groups. And it's okay to have questions. And please, oh please, oh please, you have got to learn to have a heart of humility that's willing to learn, willing to change. Because if you don't, you will be stuck in pride, and that's why the Scripture says twice in the New Testament, James, and in Peter, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That's what that means, because a pride heart says, I know it all. You can't tell me anything. I've been to Bible school. I've been to seminary. I went longer than you did. Yeah, but listen, it doesn't matter. How are you living? Is it working for you, Dr. Full says? I love that. How's it working for you? God is the same. There's never been a day of miracles. There's only ever been a God of miracles. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. There is only one. You see, to fear God is to fear no one else. It's not to fear men. Not to fear somebody's opinion. It's not to fear your spouse and their opinion. I'm telling you, there's a place where you draw the line. If you, if you are bowing to your spouse because your spouse doesn't want to walk with Jesus, you're out of line, and you better line up and call Jesus Lord. As much as you ought to love your spouse, you do not listen to what their definitions are. I don't care who it is. I don't, I'm telling you what, man, I have a problem with some people who what they teach about God, as you may be able to tell. I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to be controversial. There are some wonderful people in every religion. So I'm not, I, I'm, I, but there are some horrible things taught in some religious circles. Horrible things. 
There are some outright idolatrous things, outright idolatrous things taught in stuff. So you, if you, Jesus, Jesus said that it's only the truth that can set you free. Only his truth. Only truth can set you free, right? And it's only us knowing the truth that we can experience freedom. That's why you need a life group. And you have to chew and consume and assimilate the truth on your own. You've got to take the Word of God because the Holy Spirit has been given to you and He is your teacher. And you've got to sit with the Holy Spirit and say, okay, Holy Spirit, Shannon said this, show me if that's true. Show me in your word, because the Holy Spirit's not going to come give you some weird definition outside of the word of God. Go and sit down with the Holy Spirit, talk to him, pray in the Spirit. You go and pray in the Spirit, you get with him, you go and read it in the Bible and see all the consistencies that you, because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Holy Spirit will only bring to remembrance what he said. The Holy Spirit will only confirm what Jesus said. He will lead you into all truth, Jesus said. That would be the job of the Holy Spirit. But we have denominations that don't even believe in the Holy Spirit. Don't even think that he's a thing. I mean, they, yeah, they put him in a doxology and Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Sorry. I get a little bit passionate. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. A form of godliness, Corinth says. A form of godliness but denying the power. But what do you want? Do you want to have this abundant life? Do you want real victory? Or do you want to play church your whole life? Do you want to just play church and pretend everything's okay, even though you've got all these weird doubts because of what you believe and how it doesn't make sense? But how you're going to, what are you going to do? Because it's only God's word that can lead us into truth. The word and the spirit agree. The Holy Spirit will teach you only what's in the Word of God, not some weird, wonderful revelation. And boy, I've had a few since I've been here. No, well, the Holy Spirit didn't say that to me. He said this to me, and they come bring up some kind of an interpretation that doesn't line up with any of the names of God, doesn't line up with anything Jesus said, and they said, oh, well, the Holy Spirit told me that. Mm, no. Mm, no. And that's why you need to have a safe place where you can talk about these things. You need to be able to come to, come to, to, into a group and say, listen, I have, I, I struggle with this. I'm battling with this. I don't understand this. And, and, and just be prepared. You don't, <laughs> you don't get it all in one night. You don't get it all on one Sunday. You don't get it all ever. We, we are, we move from glory to glory. And you've heard me say, this is the mystery of Christ. This is the mystery of the gospel. And that word mystery is so profound because it's not hidden from us. It's because we can't understand it until we take one more step. Do you understand that? It's kind of like the GPS. I mean, it's a step-by-step. -step. Because you and I are so dense, we're, we're sheep, right? We're so dense that the Holy Spirit says, just take this step, Shannon. And so when I take this step, when I'm obedient to take that step, I, I can, oh, I can take the next step. But you see, I stand here taking the next step, and he's saying, take, take one step. And I'm like, I don't understand. That doesn't make any sense to me. I don't understand all the directions to China. I don't understand all that. Just take the step, one step at a time. Oh, 
I see another step. That's all. Glory to glory. Strength to strength. You're not going to know it back here because you couldn't even see it back here. You can't see it until your perspective changes one step at a time. And guess what? If I took a step once a day in one year, I would be 365 steps down the line. And I may see a whole other side of what I'm looking at. One step. Worship in God. All these powerful things. The gospel is to set you and I free. The gospel now remember, I'm, I'm, I'm coming back, zooming out notch. I've given you a bunch of scriptures to go and study at home. The gospel, I spoke about the love of God, and, and I, I'll say it again for the third time today. If you don't understand that God is love, you have to be rooted and grounded in that primary understanding that he loves you and what the finished work of the cross is. We, we picked it apart two weeks ago in the breaking of bread. Man, the gospel is so powerful vindication that we've been our sins have been paid for all of those truths come together in the love of God because that's God's motive for God's so love that he gave his son and as you embrace that first step as you embrace that character as you as you start seeing that oh wow he is a God that loves his enemies God, wow while I was still a sinner he loved me and gave his life for me it says in Romans 5 verse 8 I think it is he loves sinners. He loves you and me. He, so that's your primary foundation. But then this is a big, powerful truth. This fear, this worship, this, ad, this adoration, where, where you choose, where you choose who you will fear. Who will you adore? Who will you place on, give the final say to? And that needs to be on Jesus, no man. That needs to be on, 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 on his word, and as I, as I said already, amen? That is the fear of God. It's the Lord only we will worship and adore and revere, amen? And I'm telling you, I, I, this is how we will depart from evil. Listen, every one of us have got sin that we stumble with. But we don't have to be trapped in sin. Hebrews 12 says, let's, let's leave these things that so easily entangle us and, and the sin, the, the, sorry, let's depart from these and the sin that so easily entangles, let's run our race. We, we have to be, we want to be set free. You and, and, I'm, and I'm sure you, like me, that's what we want to do. We want to live in victory. We want to have a victorious Christian life. And it's through the fear of the Lord that we will depart from evil. It's, it's honoring Him more than your opinion. Amen. Let's pray. Make that decision while our eyes are closed. Who will you fear? Who will you fear? I'm going to, while your eyes are closed for a minute here, I just want you to. I want you to know the devil is not worth fearing. The fear of God will dispel the fear of Satan. The fear of God will, despair, will, will dispel sorry, every other fear that you've ever had. When you choose to fear Him, it's like bringing light into a dark room. There is no other fear that will be able to hold on. 
you will not be able to fear the future. You will not be able to fear lack. You will not be able to fear the devil. You will not be able to fear loneliness. You will not fear anything because the light of God's love will pierce that. No matter how dark your circumstances or physical storms look like in your life, it will be as day to you. It will be as day to you. It will bring liberty. You will breathe fresh air. Man, to live in a lack of fear of other things is so liberating. There is nothing that you have to fear but Him. And so it comes down to a simple choice and then actions after that. Choose what you will do. Choose whom you will serve, as Joshua said. Choose whose word you will listen to. Him who loves you and gave his life for you, freely give you all things. And I'm telling you again, automatically, you walk this road step by step, automatically those other things will depart from you. So Father, we thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence with us. We choose to worship you only. Father, I, I, I ask forgiveness and thank you for the forgiveness that you've earned for me, for where I've put things on pedestals that I've feared men or I've feared opinions. I've worshipped other things. And Father, we thank you for inviting us into this relationship of love. We honor you, Father. So this morning as we, as we close here, I want, to, I want to invite you. If you've not made Jesus Lord of your life, then all you need to do is call out on his name. And if you're watching this online, live or a recording, all you simply need to do is say, Jesus, I need you. I'm willing to respond to your truth. And he will meet you at you where you're at. But allow us to help you through that process. Allow us to help you take that next step. If you're here in the building, you can come one of our awesome prayer ministers as we close the service. And if you're online, text the word prayer to our our number, either on WhatsApp if you're international or here on a regular text message, 352-441-3016, and a prayer minister will be in touch with you. Thank you.